to DTC Pod, where we take you behind the wheel with the best founders and operators of consumer brands. You'll learn the ins and outs of business from setting up shop, hitting your first million, scaling past eight figures, and even navigating an exit. As founders ourselves, our goal is to help you learn from the best as you build. Visit us at DTCPod.com to sign up for our weekly newsletter, join our founder community, and find additional resources from every episode. DTC Pod is brought to you by Trend, the creative solution for your brand. Go to trend.io to access thousands of creators for content needs such as product photography, unboxing videos, or even TikTok and IG organic creative. Use the code DTCPOD10 for 10% off your next content purchase. Are you curious how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from OpenStore at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution, helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTCPod. What's up, DTC Pod? Today, we're joined by Carter Jensen, who is the global lead for D2C at General Mills. So, Carter, I'll let you kick us off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, General Mills, and your role with the company? Yeah, thanks, Mike, for having me. It's, it's great to be here, and you know, it's going to be hopefully a ton of fun to talk a little bit about uh, what, what we're up to here at General Mills. So, as many know, uh, General Mills you know, is a manufacturer of some of uh, the world's biggest food brands. Um, Think Cheerios, Honey Nut Cheerios, but also think Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Reese's Puffs, think Pillsbury, think Betty Crocker, think Nature Valley, think Yoplait. I can go on and on, over 100 brands uh, globally. Um, and it, it's just amazing to be a part of that family over the last two years. I joined in June of 2020 in the midst of my basement uh, as the food industry was going through an incredible shift uh, thanks to the pandemic. So um, yeah, so like I said, I've been there for a little over two years. Um, and my team, we're a lean, mean team of five of us. We sit globally. We oversee new and emerging channels in commerce, aka direct to consumer. Um, D2C is a core focus of ours. It wasn't when we joined. We built it kind of from the ground up. And today we launch over 35 uh, sites or 35 D2C experiences each and every year across the globe. So uh, an incredible uh, opportunity. I feel very lucky to be there. And I think we're doing something a little different. So excited to talk a little bit more about it today. Yeah. And we were really excited to have you on because I think you guys bring such a different perspective, right? Like you guys have all the scale. You're as big as it gets as in terms of like a holding company that owns all these brands, but you guys are launching these products D2C. You have learnings across these brands. So I'm really excited to just be able to get that that sort of perspective on how you guys evaluate markets, you know, what you're seeing across your different brands and just the whole story of like what it really takes to become one of these like household name brand. Cause I think in every, in DTC, we're always talking about, Oh, we're competing with like the big guys who have right. all the shelf space. Well, that's you guys. So I'm um, really excited <laughs> right. to really excited to be able to jump into this. So, um, but before we get there, why don't you walk us through, like, what's your background? How did you find your way into this role? Like where, you know, where are you from? What's your training? Where have you worked? Yeah. How, how'd you find yourself running D2C for all these brands? Totally. Yeah. So compared to my, my coworkers I have a little bit of a, a different background, you know, being a part of a big CPG company, a lot of people there, you know, 20 plus years, which bring an incredible amount of wisdom to the table. Um, but I came from the agency world. I was in advertising in and out, 
I came from, you know, a couple of tech startups, ran a couple of D2C brands, um, and ultimately ended up at General Mills, like I said, in June of 2020, um, taking on, on this really unique role. And I think when I look back at those those 10 years, whether it was the agency, if anyone's worked in the agency world, or I would tell the founders who are listening, you know, it's it's like boot camp, right? Like you are dealing with something different every day. You have this really interesting, whether it was good or bad, rounded experience from kind of trial by fire. Um, and it's been a ton of fun, sometimes frustrating, as you can imagine, bringing that into a big corporate kind of enterprise. Um, but I think it's 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 done uh, an incredible wonder for the, the work that we've been able to do, simply because we can bring that experience. We haven't specifically focused in brand building or supply chain or uh, technology, let's say. We, we kind of have that full 360 experience. So um, that's how I landed at General Mills. Um, and like I said, been over there a little over two and a half years. Um, which seems like forever from someone who came from the agency and startup world. Uh, but G- at GMI, it's a, it's a pretty short tenure. So we're just getting started. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about your guys' specific role there, right? Like you guys have a massive portfolio uh, of brands. You have retail distribution internationally. Um, so, and you oversee this whole portfolio of different brands, opportunities, product types, SKUs, et cetera. So as you find, as you get, start digging into the opportunities, what, how do you decide what goes D to C first? What are some of, what, what was the first brand you took D to C? Why don't you just tell us a little bit about all of that? Yeah, for sure. So like two and a half years ago when I joined D to C, it was a little bit of a swear word, right? Uh, if you think about it, Blaine, you just described it, right? We have distribution. We have the best partners in Walmart, Target, you know, Kroger, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, and, and so we're, we're backing into it a little bit compared to really kind of the incredible founders who are starting from the ground up where we do have this distribution. And so when I joined, as I mentioned, like DSC was a little bit of a swear word. It's it's almost cannibalistic. You're going against your partners. Like, why would you touch that if, if, if we already have distribution? And um, there was a shining kind of light on the hill, which was Epic Provisions, which we acquired, I think, back in 2015, 2016. Incredible D2C story. It had a really incredible D2C engine. And obviously, we brought that into General Mills and, and, and kind of elevated distribution in our traditional channels. But Epic was the one that was hanging on. And so everyone used this as an example. It's like, well, we don't do D2C. And, but what about Epic, right? Um, it's like, well, yeah, Epic's a great case study. But I believed or I, I, I was able to prove that I think there was a lot more. Now, it might not be always traditional going for profit and sales. But we knew or I knew or I believed that D2C had a place within the big organization. And it was 2020, 2021 at the time. I was like, if we can't do D2C to some degree, uh, we're behind, right? We saw our competitors playing with it. We weren't even touching it. So um, we quickly, you know, kind of mobilized to build this capability and um, kind of deploy a really kind of unique strategy around it. So what were, was, uh, was, was Epic Provisions, was that one of the first ones that you guys launched? And was that the model for saying, hey, we can apply this to others? And, and you know, what were some of the first brands that you were in-house that you were like, okay, these are the ones and, and let's, let's spin it up into a D2C instance? Yeah, so the first thing we had to look at, you know, when we were kind of debating this was, is why Epic, right? And Epic was launched as a D2C brand from the beginning, right? The founder story is pretty incredible. And we actually acquired it after it received, you know, got quite a bit of velocity. Um, but it was a great experience or a great kind of experiment to look at Epic and say, why, why that? Um, and, and it actually came down to some pretty basic math. Like if you think Epic provisions, you think of beef jerky or other products that are similar, you're thinking more of a higher dollar item, higher average order value, higher margin, right? Um, in addition to that, the kicker also is the fact that their products are a little smaller. 
and they weigh less, right? So shipping and logistics isn't as big of a deal. If you go to the complete other end of the spectrum, like if we were just to look across the hundred brands that we, we currently have, you look at like a box of Cheerios, right? Where our margins are razor thin. And as everyone who's listening knows, imagine shipping a box of Cheerios across the country, right? It is a big package that's lightweight, but it's huge. And so if we look across, you know, we've done some different, you know, we've tried different fulfillment models and, and we knew where you weren't even close, right? The cheapest I can ship a box of Cheerios across the country is that your listeners know better than I do is like four or five bucks usually. Well, there goes the margin, right? You can see the blood run under the brand manager's face when you bring that up in the first conversation you have. So what we did is we looked, we said, we have to find something that has a little bit of margin or some margin that we can at least play with and we can at least manipulate through order value or bundles or things like that. And obviously the weight, but we also knew that like some brands were just ripe for D to C. Like you talk about some of the, the items and you look at the consumer need, right? It's like, all right, bars, jerky, you know, supplements and things like that that aren't within our categories. Um, but we looked across and we started saying, oh, like Lara Bar, Nature Valley, Ratio, right? We have a couple brands that were really ripe and we started to see some of those spring up um, kind of in the more traditional strategy that we've deployed. And um, we just launched ratiofood.com the other month, a couple months ago, which is a, a bar brand specifically around keto. Um, Lara Bar continues to come in and out of kind of the D2C fold, depending on what year it is, whether it's holiday, et cetera. But that's where we're seeing the traditional deployment of D2C within the org is, again, those categories that make sense. Yeah. And I think what's really cool here is one about how you guys are evaluating opportunities, right? You have all the products and it's you have your pick of the litter in terms of what products you want to take to the D2C market. So it's kind of your job to say, okay, let's focus on the ones where D2C as a channel makes sense, provide, knowing that we... A, can provide like a good experience and becomes a good experience for our customer, but B, that, you know, from a margin perspective, we're actually going to be able to deliver this and this is going to be a worthwhile investment as opposed to like, oh, you know, we're unclear if this is green or red or if it's a marketing cost or what we're going to have to right. write it down as. So yep, um, I, I think it's it's really cool being able to have that optionality and going forward to to choose which products you are going to take to market and what as well as being able to learn across uh some of your different brands in terms of like the the characteristics of these brands that help you know help a brand perform d to c the next thing 100 yeah, percent that the next thing that i think is really interesting just in terms of for our listeners and how we're thinking about this is like you've got all these d to c brands who realize okay d to c is a wedge they're able to get started. They build their business on D2C. Now they're thinking retail and expanding through distribution there, where you guys already have the, the product solved, the retail distribution solved, and now your challenge and what you're responsible of, it's like, okay, now how do we do that whole D2C side of things, right? Right, yeah. Um, so when it comes to launching a brand, what are your first steps? Because I think a lot of what you do, right, minus the supply chain, minus the fulfillment, minus the product development, like let's say that stuff's already taken care of because you guys already have the products. They've already been tested. They've already been validated in market. But yep. in, from a technical side of things, you guys are still having to do all the same things that any D2C brand is doing, right? So why don't you walk cool. me through your like best practices, how you actually get set up digitally to be able to sell your products D2C. Yeah, well, it's actually, it's, it's funny because when I joined, right, you know, like how hard can it be, right? We already have the product, we got the hard stuff done, right? Which I think a lot of your listeners are gonna be like, wow, you already have the engineers and the, the packaging and the, the supply chain, like you got the hard stuff figured out. And um, I, I won't try to minimize that. That's a huge amount of work, but you know, thanks to being a 150 year old manufacturer, we've been working at that for quite some time. Um, 
But what was fascinating is how hard just like some of the things I think, again, your listeners are going to think are so basic. It's like, well, how do you stand up a dot com? Like, where do we ship the stuff? Like, how do we take the pallets apart? Like, how do we email people after they order? Right. And what we were up against is we were up against like these traditional enterprise tech stacks, right, that weren't used to moving at the speed of D to C brands. They weren't used to doing this. And so it's like, well, we have this enterprise system over here. It doesn't talk to this enterprise system. Oh, you want to send an email six months later kind of thing. Like it, it, in that type of conversation is these teams that we were up against. And so what we actually did is we, we built an entirely new tech stack in, in kind of in parallel to the enterprise system. So we went to the tools that your, your listeners know so well. And, you know, we're a completely Shopify enterprise. You know, we own 100% Shopify. It, it powers all of our DTC storefronts. We're using Klaviyo for email and SMS and even, you know, some consumer data and journey mapping kind of types of things. We're using Yapo. We're using these tools that are so native to your audience, but we brought them into the organization. Now, behind the scenes, we've had to wire them up. And obviously, all the data is going to a central location. We have our security teams that are, are reviewing and everything. But once that system was set up, we can now launch a brand in a matter of days or weeks because really, the hardware from manufacturing perspective is locked in. We now have made a turnkey solution for the technical aspect. We, they come together and, and you can launch a brand pretty quickly. And um, that's what we're really proud to hold on today. And that's what like allows us to launch at like the velocity I mentioned, you know, 30, 40 sites a year because the tech stack's built and it's kind of a copy and paste across the board. Yeah, I think it's it, it's super cool. And it's such a such a great opportunity uh, that you guys are able to go in through through tech because not, now you're able to also, from a customer perspective, you're able to provide them with a better customer experience because if they want, sure, they can, you know, you guys don't really care where they're buying, whether they're buying in the store, whether they're buying from um, a different marketplace or they're buying direct from you. But if they are buying direct from you, you're able to oversee that, uh, you know, first party relationship with your customer. And then you have a whole suite of other brands that you can slowly like bring them into the fold for. So you're able to ultimately down the line, build these powerful relationships with customers in a way that you wouldn't get in the grocery store, call it. And then you have all these different products that you know these customers might like based on their purchasing behavior. So as a 100%. business, it makes a whole bunch of sense to be able to start scaling these out from a first party perspective. Yeah, and that's the data angle, right? It's perfect. I mentioned it really quickly in passing. The fact that all of these are centrally tied back for our CDP systems and our data, data lakes. You know, the data that we collect on a, a ratio keto bar consumer might not be the, you know, the data set might not be the size of Betty Crocker. Um, but the point is like that set of users is an incredibly value, set, valuable set of users to hold information on. And now once we put them all centrally, all of a sudden, you know, Betty Crocker might be using that data to better target new keto recipes to a broader audience. Or, you know, the Betty Crocker, you know, uh, data set might help us target our performance media for a different, a different user set. Like, we have the power kind of of, and I hate to use the word synergy, right? But like, if you think about it, all these brands are connected centrally, right? The data sensors are collected. So regardless of how big, small, left, right, the D2C brand is, it's contributing and benefiting from the central organism that we've built. And I think that's what's actually got us a ton of traction where, hey, the profits might not be big, right? The profits might not be huge, but from a first party data perspective and from I mean, a UX perspective, by just serving the consumer in a different way, which we can talk about, like it, it, it's it's worth its weight in gold. No, ab absolutely. And I think what what's really cool about this initiative also is it seems like a lot of times in the corporate world, some of these things get lost on being able to like when it comes down to actually executing and being able to pull something like this off. Totally. Um, so what, what's really impressive to me is the agility 
at which you guys are moving and how you guys are approaching this. Because yeah, like this is one of those things where it's like, well, duh, they should do that. But then, you yeah. know, sometimes in the corporate world, actually taking those projects to fruition isn't as easy as it would sound in, in theory, right? Yeah, the hoops we've had to jump through in order to make it as turnkey as I make it sound are massive. Um, and the idea is we could do that work in the upfront so that we could move at the speed we're moving today. And I think the, the work is, is paying off. Um, but yeah, it is, it is not as easy though. We have great distribution, though we have product manufacturing, all that stuff, which is again, nothing to diminish or minimize. Um, the, the challenge of bringing sale or Shopify in and the challenge of bringing Clavio in has been no easy. Um, so the next question that I have for, for you guys is as it pertains to like marketing, for example, right? Uh, yeah. all these different brands, they all run their own. Uh, different sort of campaigns through every channel that you can imagine. Is D2C yeah, advertising part of the strategy or is that kind of just a separate thing where D2C is just like the channel for you, you're operating the brand and you're like getting bleed off from all the different global marketing that each one of these brands is doing? And, or is, is it, are you guys doing your own D2C marketing? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. And, um, I would say yes and yes, right? Um, so some brands choose to take D2C and use it as a kind of like business unit in itself, right? Where they'll deploy marketing strategies against that channel specifically. There's objectives, they can, they can do some really interesting things. Um, other brands use it as one of many channels, right? And if you think about it, like as your listeners will know, the amount of, of you know, kind of possibilities that open when you do have a full funnel you know, kind of system comparably to a system where we lose our users after they click through the ad because they land at Target or Walmart or Kroger is, is mind blowing. This idea that we can kind of do these full funnel performance marketing type activations because now we know the entire consumer journey. So I think some of the brands who are doing it best are bringing D2C in as a channel, right? They're putting it next to all their retail providers and they are not necessarily looking at it exclusively in their marketing strategy, but they're building in kind of the tactics that your listeners think about that we, we haven't even touched, right? Like we start with awareness media and go from there. That's where most of our money goes, right? But all of a sudden now the tools are there for our marketers to do true performance media optimizing for purchase. Like what, what does that mean all of a sudden for a brand that's done it one way for the last 30 years? And all of a sudden now you're like, hey, actually like you can see the whole consumer journey. You can see who it was. You can see it was Bob and you can see that he clicked on this ad and got here. And in 28 days, he's going to want some more products. So what are you going to do about it? And the possibilities there are huge. And for your listeners, you're like, well, duh, of course, like that's just what you do. But for us, as kind of historic, you know, mass media marketers, um, it's brand new. And, and so we're, we're trying to figure it out. And with great, this great power comes kind of new challenges. And, um, you know, we're working through that right now. But I think we're more excited to even have these at our fingertips and kind of daunted by some of the uh, organizational shifts that are going to have to happen around it. And what are some of the challenges of operating that many brands in this new arena, right? Because like D2C is obviously not quite as simple as, you know, finding a new marketplace or a new retailer that you're distributing in where you're just sending a bunch of product and saying, okay, you deal with it, right? Like you right. guys are actually managing the relationship, like you said, from everything from emails to the ads, to the fulfillment, to everything, right? So yep. what, and when you start to scale that, uh, uh, it's it's hard enough to do it with one brand, but as you start to like scale out, how have you guys totally. solved the operational challenge? Do you have operators who are working across your different brands? Do you build out teams for specific, like how are you thinking yep. about that? Yeah, totally. And and it's, it's all a part of a scaled system. So on one side, in the very most minimal world, we do our best to arm the brand marketers, the people who own those brands, who know those brands the best with the new tools and weapons they need to go 
out and make things happen, right? Hey, this is Clavio. It's drag and drop. It's pretty easy. It's pretty awesome. Like, go crazy. Use your agency partners. Use whoever you need in order to make this happen. Call us if you need help. If you remember, 20 minutes ago when we kicked this thing off, we're only a team of five of us and we're global, right? And we have to manage all of these things. So we have to find a way to scale it, right? So, you know, not worst case scenario, but in, in the kind of most turnkey way, we, we arm the brand teams, the brand marketers that are often traditionally trained in kind of this new weaponry, for lack of better terms. On the full other side, you have dedicated teams who are going after it, right? So a brand's going to launch a digital channel like D2C, you're going to say, okay, we are going to arm them with a fleet of or a team who's built and sole purpose is only to manage that, right? Now, often that comes from like a site management, marketing, kind of product management perspective. What we have done is we have identified kind of key groups or individuals who op- who kind of operationalize some of the like logistics, right? Hey, if you want stuff out of SAP, you ship a pallet to this address and you go here and here are your four, three PLs. And, you know, there are systems and people who kind of have excelled and, and been able to kind of oversee kind of the holistic journey. Um, and, and so you can see it's kind of a tiered model. So we have us as the core, we kind of have our first ring defense, which is kind of our experts in shipping and logistics and things like that. And then our final round, which is the marketers, which we do our best to train and, and kind of uh, enable through the new tools. Um, but again, that's why we're thankful to have Shopify and Clavio and things like that, because these marketers are thrilled to have these tools at their fingertips, right? So, you know, you can be pretty dangerous in those tools if you just take a couple of days to do some research and, you know, and that's what they're built for. And so that's why we're excited to bring them to the table. No, that's amazing. Um, so then the next question that I have is moving to the retail side, right? Like you yeah. guys have obviously done, you know, when you're, when you're around doing CPG for 150 years, you obviously dip your toes into retail and, um, you guys have, have clearly have major success there. So why don't you talk to, just tell our listeners a little bit more about like the scale at which you guys are in retail, who some of your partners are, like what that volume looks like and how that becomes like a real competitive advantage for you guys as you think about like building out your D2C brand. Yeah. So, so obviously, you know, our retail partners are the most important partners we have, right? That's how our consumers end up purchasing our products. Um, and, you know, D2C makes up some volume, right? But in compared to our business with our core partners like Walmart, Target, Kroger, et cetera, um, it's negligible, right? Um, and, and we're not afraid to, to say that. And I think um, for us, what's what's interesting is, is to your point early on, you know, we're kind of backing into this D2C, D2C world while other brands are, are coming forward. So, you know, if you, if you go to your local Target store, Walmart store, you'll see, you know, we have pretty prevalent shelf space, right? Um, Oftentimes, Cheerios will take up an entire wall. It's hard to miss where we know that we have some digitally native competitors. I wouldn't even call competitors yet, but like people who are in similar spaces who are starting to get shelf space, right? And what's fascinating, I think, and, you know, like we've talked about this before, but like we are trying to figure out what they do so well, right? These startups and like what your listeners do so well, collect data, optimize media, you know, connect with their consumer in an intimate way, you know, really kind of, you know, maybe tackle that niche, right? Uh, where we, are more mass market, you know, shelf space, et cetera. Now, everyone's kind of got their own advantage, especially in the world we live in today, right? And so we're kind of coming at each other to a degree. Now, some of our competitors, we won't dive into names, but they're they're very niche, like, kind of people, right? They, they're looking at a very specific diet, a very specific type of consumer, where we are more mass. And I think, like, right now, we have this kind of affection for each other, right? We're not really competing to a degree, but, like, I think we look at each other, again, in, like, affection, right? Like, we are very envious of what these competitors can do from a consumer connections point of view, or I'm sure that it's probably not fun to look at a wall of Cheerios and know that we maybe have a, 
you know, um, a little bit of a different advantage within that space. Yeah. And that's another question that I have is like for you guys, right? Like you mentioned some of your brands like Cheerios or Cinnamon Toast Crunch, which is like obviously one of my favorite cereals uh, and it has been forever. But, uh, you know, when when you guys are launching different products, you guys could launch. I've seen so many different, for example, you have like, uh, like you said, you have like Honey Nut Cheerios, you have like uh, normal Cheerios, you have like all these different flavors oh, of can, Cheerios, I go right? On, but we got pumpkin spice. We got, you know, we got a lot going on right now. Exactly. So like as when, when you guys have the relationship with the retailer, like how are they thinking about like variation, right? Because you could almost swap in going niche as like one of these different product variants that you're introducing. So how, how do you guys think about like variation? Is there a strategy there? Um, and are you trying to go like super niche or just say, oh, we already have all this shelf space. So we're just going to keep like testing and, you know, testing out our mix and seeing what's performing, adjusting it seasonally. Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, well, we're, we're always introducing new flavors and, and new innovation in terms of our products, right? You know, and doing our best to deliver ultimate what consumers are looking for. I think what the best example of this is like if we even like get outside the world of Cheerios and our major brands and look to like some of our incubator brands, right? Um, we have kind of this internal incubator, which is constantly not only turning out new products from a flavor perspective or from a form perspective, but from like an entirely new brand perspective. And, you know, could we probably leverage our retail relationships to put those on shelf? Sure. But those brands have a long way to go, right? Just like a new flavor innovation probably has a long way to go. Um, and I mean that with the most notoriety, like they, they're new to the world. They have to see if their form factor and their flavor works and their, their fit meets the consumer needs. And so like when we look at D2C, like that's one of our core pillars, right? And of course we have established brands who might use that for flavor innovation. Like, you know, we look at, I just have some of these here, but like you look at like, you know, this is the Reese's cause special edition box. Like this box was not launched in retail. This was a special edition setup that we did via, via D2C only. But the point being is, is that we can deploy without a ton of risk, right? And we can learn a lot and then we can use that as ammunition and use that as, as really kind of learning, whether we go back to the drawing board and try a new form factor, new color, new flavor, whatever it might be, or we go to our retail partners and say, hey, this isn't as big of a risk as it seems. Look at this distribution we've got. Look at this consumer feedback. We're coming in with 300 ratings and you know reviews coming just from D to C. Like, this is how we think it should go to market. And yes, though, we could probably lean on our, our history a little bit and, and try to kind of get some distribution without proving that. We still believe it's really important. And I think it's, it's probably the same to a lot of your listeners, where as they're looking to break into retail, you got to show up with, with some really solid proof. And in the world we live in today, it's not just a beautiful box and a pitch deck, right? We, we have all this data. And I think we notice that and we look at founders and say, wow, like they're really coming to the table with some serious selling power because of that data. Like it probably would help us if we did that too. And it helps our relationships really kind of further because we, we are coming with some, some proof that this is something the consumers want. And often we can, you know, really leverage that in a, in a beneficial way. So one way that a lot of uh, the founders or brands that we've had on the podcast, they think about D2C, especially when they're retail oriented brands, like think drinks or like have your sort of products that, um, you know, maybe don't do so well online. One way they think about D2C is a way to, uh, you know, test out new products, like reward loyal customers with like exciting product drops and basically sure. use it as like this channel to um, not only provide great experience to customers and do like, you know, these cool product drops, but also like you were saying, be able to gather that first party data. So is your, is that a team that you work closely with in terms of like your incubation team in terms of, because 
you guys on the D2C end obviously could probably do a lot to help them, whether it's like launching product variants or like you were saying, gathering that data. Is that is that a relationship that you're looking to build within the organization? Yeah. So you actually hit on a, a the, the third category. We talked about sales. We talked about learning, and then we kind of talked about promotions. Like you talked about, you know, rewarding your most, you know, your largest fans, your your fanatics of the brand, right? Um, and like again, this like one I have in my desk, right? Like this was like a limited edition you know, Reese's Puffs cause collaboration, right? And yes, there were normal orange boxes of this on the shelf at Walmart. And actually before they actually released, they leaked on Reddit and uh, it was really this kind of viral sensation. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, any family can pick up a version of that, but only a certain amount of our fanatics who, you know, are following us on Instagram and really were connected to the brand had access to get this, right? Um, and yes, there's a data story behind it, of course, right? You know, we can obviously use that data in really interesting ways. But like what I love to tell is like, I like to think that there are thousands and thousands of these boxes sitting on shelves like I have over here, right? Across the country and rewarding like our most avid fans who are following us on Instagram and are constantly looking at what we're releasing to actually reward them with a solid piece of the brand um, is a really interesting way to pay off a very digital first campaign with a really awesome physical product that shows up on their front door the day after they entered, you know, into their information. So um, it is that second pillar. It is rewarding fans. It is looking at our most iconic brands, I mean, Reese's Puffs, right? And saying, how do we like take this to the next level? How do we really kind of build this fandom? And how do we use our D2C engine, which is traditionally used for sales or whatever, to like make that happen quickly and in really unique ways? And, and this is honestly, you know, probably, you know, a lot of the work we do year in and year out is like looking at stuff like this, or we'll look at like, this one's the SpongeBob Cinnamon Toast Crunch version. Like, you know, we got a ton of them, but the point being is it looks childish or looks gimmicky, but at the end of the day, it's a really big part of the program. Um, and, and we're doing new and different things, you know, um, throughout the year um, to really kind of pay off these, what were digitally only promotions. Yeah. And the, the other thing that I think is really important for our listeners to kind of take note of is I think there's probably been you know, there's been an obvious explosion in CPG over the last yeah. couple of years. Everyone's coming up with their own brand. There's a lot of, of innovation yeah. happening. But I think, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, we're just going to go disrupt the old retailers and it's going to be really easy. Right. And so I think one of the most valuable things or one of my valuable takeaways from this conversation is that the bigger brands that own, that have massive distribution and have a lot of shel shelf space, like you guys are showing up to the party, right? Like this isn't just like, oh, we're sitting there and like, yeah, any DTC or CPG brand that wants can come take yeah. our shelf space. Like, no. And, and I think what's important for founders to like really understand when you're growing a brand and you're thinking about it is like, if you're going to be able to compete in that environment, right? Like you need to be even more aware of going into a product product niche where you think there's an emerging market that like, you know, one of the bigger conglomerates doesn't have a foothold in. So they aren't just going to be able to scale up and kind of take market share or shelf space from you. And you need to operate from the mentality like, you know, I need to bring my A game and I need to move and I need to move fast because I think a lot of people think at the enterprise level, oh, it's going to take you know, this company years and years and years to do Like, I don't need to worry about product mode. I don't need to worry about this. I don't need to worry about that because like they're so big and they're sleeping. Right. Whereas, right. Yeah. What, you know, one of my big takeaways from this conversation is like, no, no, no. The, at the enterprise, you guys have economies of scale. You have the relationship, you have the shelf space, you have these plays. And when you get the right people in the op with the right operational chops to solving those problems, you guys can move fast too. So I think the lesson for founders is like, okay, great. And like, you should take this knowledge and not be ignorant about it. You should say, okay, there's 
definitely opportunities for me to disrupt that General Mills isn't going into right now. So maybe like those are the types of opportunities that I should think with. And I should think with the same kind of mentality that you were saying, like think about the products that ship well, have good um, optics for D to C, have good, you know, unit economics and all that sort of stuff and build your brand authentically like your way. Don't think about it like, oh, I want to, you know, oh, I'm not worried about this brand coming in or I can totally get that shelf space. No, you need to be thoughtful and build your brand, uh, you know, kind of how you're thinking about it. Yeah. And and when the, and that's an awesome list plan. Like, when the day does come and, and you do start getting some distribution, like how does D2C not just go away? Like how does it morph into a growth channel, into an experimentation channel? And how do you continue to kind of nurture your maybe, you know, retail brands or your retail products, your retail SKUs with new and innovative ways to use this incredible D2C channel that you've spent so much time on? Um, and I think, you know, again, we're backing into it, but these, you know, the founders and the teams who are listening to this, this are doing it fast. And um, you know, I think everyone's kind of got their advantage and everyone's kind of playing to their strength while also working to fortify their weakness. And um, I think the list you described is a perfect kind of summary of our conversation. So as we look forward, right, like what are now that you guys kind of have your playbook in terms of which brands you choose to launch D2C and you have uh, you've already seen some success and you've got the operations sort of figured out across a lot of the brands that you're launching what are the next things on your agenda like what are the things that you're really excited about to bring is it is it launching new brands is it optimizing your current brand strategy and growing those d2c is it looking at new new online channels a little bit of everything like where where are you thinking uh over the next you know couple years yeah I, i think it's twofold so the first one is like we are dead set on launching new experiences right new brands uh whether that's a brand new brand or if it's a uh, brand that does choose to go D to C who might be ripe based on kind of the pre-qualifications we talked about early in the conversation. Um, and I think we're dead set on that. And, you know, we love to hand the tools off to the teams who know those brands the best to nurture and grow that as they see fit, right? The second thing is related, and we've talked about it actually in the conversation, but it's really finding or, or nurturing, back to that word, right? Uh, the capability that D2C tends to unlock, right? We talked about this new like way of performance marketing, this idea that we now have full funnel analytics, that we have this new one-on-one communication with consumers. As weird as that sounds, that's something that's pretty new to some of these brands, right? Where they're used to doing these mass marketing kind of traditional media campaigns. And now we kind of unlock this whole new world of, of marketing. In addition to some of the new things that also D2C enables, such as like social commerce, finding new ways to intersect consumers. How are we creating a really great path to purchase regardless of their buying D2C, or maybe we can use some of the D2C-like tactics to bring them into a retail partner. But what D2C is doing is it's enabling and forcing the conversation of how to show up in a more digitally first way and how to show up in a more modern way. Um, And regardless of the state of D2C that they might be in, it's exciting for us to see those, I would call them, I guess, second order effects. But at the end of the day, like it's kind of this new wave and, and it's a new wave of commerce, it's a new way of marketing, it's a new way of kind of connecting with the consumer, called, you know, whatever you might will. But like, I think that's what excites me the most is that, yes, we're launching a ton of D2C sites, but the ripple that that is creating within the organization of, of doing things differently on a marketing, commerce, whatever perspective is what's exciting to us. No, uh, I, I've been pretty blown away by this conversation just in terms of like how you guys are thinking about it, how fast you've moved. It's like really impressive. So props to you guys. Um, we're 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 rooting for you. And I guess for our listeners who are tuning in, maybe they have questions about, uh, you know, 
how you guys are thinking about things and maybe there's some learnings they want to get. Like, where can they connect with you? Are you on Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, shout out yeah, for yourself, sure. your you socials? Know, yeah, LinkedIn's the, the best way to find me. Carter Jensen, the only one at General Mills. You'll, you'll see a little serial uh, emoji in, in my uh, headline there. Um, and yeah, reach out. I mean, we would love, we always love talking to, you know, new and emerging brands because actually we're probably going to learn more from you guys than you might learn from us. But like, we would love to hook you up with whatever teams internally you, you might like to kind of bounce ideas off of. I think everyone at Mills is really excited about where this industry is going and um, we're excited to kind of continue to network and share um, as opportunities arise. So yeah, definitely reach out on LinkedIn. It's the best place to find us. Sweet. Well, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Uh, loved having you guys and can't wait to see uh, your continued growth. Yeah, thanks, boy. I appreciate the time. Thanks for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC Pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and a review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.